My name is Meg Madden. I live in San Francisco. I'm the class of 1964. I majored in cultural anthropology and journalism. So you're pulling out of Grinnell after graduation. Who are you with and what are two or three things that you remember having packed with you? I don't remember exactly the last time I left Grinnell, honestly. Mm -hmm. I remember hitching along the railroad tracks, just dying to get out of there, <laughs> and that I was thrilled to go to the East Coast and take a job as a waitress on Martha's Vineyard in a coffee house. When you talk about dying to get out of there, do you remember what for you it was? I and several of my friends who are from the same class or a couple of classes younger also had a very difficult time as women Mm. during a time when it, 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 there was still local in parentis and there was still the idea that we were basically getting a liberal arts education in order to get married. That, for instance, if you wanted to become a doctor, no man would have you. <laughs> and it was, it was a difficult transition during my junior year. The revolution that had swept Berkeley and uh, New York the year before hit Grinnell, and we lived right through the middle of that. When you were getting ready to arrive at Grinnell, did you anticipate that that would be the way things would be there, or was it kind of uh, unexpected? I came to Grinnell on scholarship, and I had applied to most of the liberal arts schools in the Middle West and some on the East Coast, and I had researched them fairly well, so I had a fairly good idea <clears throat> of the academic aspect. Mm. I don't think any of the women that I roomed with or that I socialized with had a clue about what we were getting into as far as what the the life was like on campus. Did you feel like when you were in the midst of it you had any kind of um, agency to push it to change because you know it, it's a slow process but it did change so it changed incredibly dramatically the year I was there most of the change came through the men through who is now Peter Coyote, became yeah. president of men, and he ran on a campaign of no laws. What year was that? Um, I think that was 63, because I graduated in 64. Yeah. In the midst of all of this, you were paying very close attention, it sounds like, to what was going on. Do you feel like that was the exception or more the rule for the student body as a whole? The student body split it completely in two during the time I was there, and that rift still remains. Those of us that became what was in that the, that long ago time called Beats, basically rejected most of the college attitudes. It was just a different time. I'm sure that Grinnell, I've followed it since, and things have changed so much, it's hard for, I would think, later generations to picture what it was like yeah. back then, but it was a very straight-laced, Midwestern, small town, and most of the people that came to it were Midwestern, kind of provincial people. And during this transition, one of the things that happened is a lot of people from the East Coast came. We've been researching this a little bit lately, and I think they used to get applications from the East Coast all the time, but more people would be accepted to those East Coast colleges, and Grinnell was kind of the fallback. Go, yeah. But for some reason, my class, maybe the class preceding me and the class following me, were very heavy on these people that were from a New York East Coast seaboard background, mm -hmm. moneyed background, and there was a certain amount of contempt, I think, all around, that if I were doing it over again, that's the biggest thing I would like to change, is to have seen respect up from the different sides, having differing points of view. So as you got ready to leave and then left, you knew what, you were, what was pushing you to feel like you needed to be somewhere else, but what 
exactly did you feel like was pulling you to where you ended up and what was the next step for you? My big goal in life was to get involved in the folk music scene on Martha's Vineyard and then that drew me to Boston and I worked in a coffee house there and I got promoted to manager and from there I went to New York. It's a long story mm -hmm. but I've ended up actually staying in the arts and in management and I've had a very solid career. In a way it all works out. There's look at the really long big picture it all does make sense but at the time you know like I think most of us we wanted to meet cute guys we wanted to listen to really cool music we wanted to express ourselves creatively and and the idea that for instance you could be an artist was mm -hmm. pretty shocking and when I, I did get it together to do that about two years out of college that I wanted to, to be a poet and I was so um, undertrained or un not, not understanding the real world that it didn't occur to me you couldn't make a living that <laughs> So I did social work. I yeah. founded a nursery school. And those side jobs sort of have, as I saw them at the time, have become sort of central to what I do in life. And in terms of the people that you've chosen and searched out and surrounded yourself with it, it was a very well-known um scene it was just right. uh, that that was the time when bob dylan and joan baez were still around right. and the hottest scene or I, in those days it was cool <laughs> was <laughs> club 47 in boston right. in cambridge and i got a job managing the unicorn coffee house which was sort of second best to 47 but I was hey, managing still, it. And then I opened one on Martha's Vineyard the following year mm. and managed it. And then I decided I, because the folk singers around me and comedians were telling me, oh, you don't want to be in management. That's not cool. You should really re realize your creative talents. I left and went to New York and tried to get a job as a writer. And one thing led to another. And I had a lot of interesting jobs and ended up where I am now. One theme that's come out through many of my conversations is this idea that whether Grinnell gives it to you or not, at some point you have to trust in your own, it sounds corny, but in your own voice to tell your own story, right. artistically or professionally, whatever it is. Right. I think, I'm not sure, but I think the men were given that and the women were told, stay quiet, stay in the background, literally don't sit in the front of the class. Um, you know, we were still wearing skirts and I can't remember what the code was yeah. but ev everything was coded to put you to put women second in second half. place in a supportive role and a part of me from very young was a manager and somebody that ran things and so I started running things in the sort of the counterculture so now when you think about the place and you said you've paid attention a little bit to or a lot maybe to how it's evolved I think some of those things are better but when when you're just thinking about what what that can provide for someone who's in your position mm -hmm. now I have a number of friends that went to Grinnell and I think that that's um, one of the basic things any college gives to people is they get it gives you a lifetime support system mm -hmm. even if they're the people that rejected the school right. they're still hanging together right. might not be the and institution a, and a lot but, of them yeah. are very successful but they're just have a complex attitude towards the college I think there's always stuff out there it's finding out how to relate to people as human beings mm. and to learn, focus on what you can learn and what you can understand from one another and how you can care for each other, then that becomes the reality. When we look back at Grinnell, I think unanimously we felt there was a huge number of resources, and but we weren't mature enough to appreciate that. So everybody's cutting class and hanging out late at night talking, which is where I learned most of what I learned at Grinnell, <laughs> I think, was yeah. in the dorms at night or going for walks, getting out of the dorm. All that kind of stuff is how 
we learned. If we went back now, we would all be A students, and we would be in the front of the class, and we would be raising our hand, and we would be doing all the homework, and we would do everything we can to get everything we can out of what was there. I will say it was so male-dominant in the teaching as well mm. as in everything else that in a lot of ways it was, um, I feel, scarring, mm. where we would try to fight back for what we perceived to be justice. My understanding now as a much older person that's a Buddhist is that you sort of don't need to take sides so much, that when you start to polarize, it, the situation will polarize. Right. But when you see injustice like that, there needs to be some way to protect the victims mm. at the same time. So I still don't know exactly how I would have finessed that as an older person looking back. But I do know it was just so disillusioning us to us. Do you think that when you went out and saw some of those same high-stakes games basically being played in the world? Because Grinnell is not the only place. Right. Well, that's, like that's that what it prepared us for, right. is how rough it is in New York and how rough it is when you get into a career. Hmm. But you do, that's not what college design is supposed, to, is supposed be, yeah. to be about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. It well, taught us not to trust people, and it took me a long, long time to get past that, I think. <laughs>